All right, Wayne, we're talking in the aftermath of Manchester United 1, Copenhagen 0. Take that, you bastards. What a performance. What, what are we to make of that? <laughs> there is a, it's quite a range of emotions to go through. The, um, the frustration. Oh, well, we went through the seven stages, didn't we? Literally went through the seven stages, considering the very real and palpable sense of grief. Uh, which I'm not yep. downplaying at all. I'm not really not downplaying for, for the humorous after effects of the other six stages which we went through. But yeah, it has been the old gamut of emotions uh, for us yeah. today. I don't really. The grief of everything associated with the loss of Sir Bobby and the heavy emotion that's been in the air all around Old Trafford today. Yeah. Touching tribute, I thought. Oh, yeah. I think. I think. Well, there's a lot of criticism the club gets for a lot of things, but I do think that they handle occasions like this and and Munich with a little bit of class. I do think the United do tend to do that, and there has been a lot of class with the way that they've um, handled this. I thought it was understated, but in in a good way, you know? So not, not like the whole past few days has not been like over the top. Yeah, um, it, well, it feels like it feels like uh, what's the word I'm searching for here? It feels in keeping with the man. I, and, I feel uh, like what United have done, what United have done. Sorry to interrupt, but what I feel like what they've done as a club is projected a canvas upon which everyone can pay their own tributes, and everyone's done that. And those tributes have been full. Like they, you know, like you yeah. were saying, like they've they've been full. They've been very elaborative, and people have paid the highest honors they can. The way that they've spoke about him has been the most glowing that they could possibly could. My own things, I've described it as the best story in football, the greatest story in football, and the way that people have chosen to speak about him and the language they've chosen to say, uh, use, and the words they've chosen to employ in description of Sir Bobby and, and everything that he did and stood for and represented and achieved has been very poignant and United have allowed that to take it to take its own course really. They've not manipulated it, they've not pushed it, they've not sort of made it into this big sort of thing. It's been very sombre, very morose, definitely yeah. around Old Trafford. He's been very, very quiet and it's, it's just there, there's a lot of dignity there, and it's been very, very, very emotional. And ever since, ever since four o'clock on, on Saturday, really, and I, I know you've already covered this game on the pod, but with the Sheffield United game, the one thing that the, there are two ways of looking at um, a performance after a death that's that close is the one is that you excuse them for a poor performance, and the second is that you, you, the players use it as inspiration for a better performance. And neither of those things were true, really, because United's still Armstrong with the same kind of problems that they've had. And I, th- mm-hmm. I think that it's too close to them going out for a kickoff that they had any real impact. I don't think that the, those players were close enough, even Eric Tenog when he spoke about him. And I don't mean this with any criticism whatsoever, but the way that Eric Tenog spoke about him was, was with a sense of detachment. So he didn't know him. You know what I mean? He's already part of the past of the club, yeah. whereas up until very recently, up until Eric took charge, he was very much present. He was very much every you know, up until the, the news of his diagnosis, he was everywhere. Yeah. He was always around the club. So when it was that this first period, really, where he's felt like he's part of the club's past only because of his illness. And yeah. so... So what I mean is that I feel like the squad, the current squad of players is detached enough they wouldn't have impacted their performance really on Saturday, even though they've been generous enough to dedicate the wins to him. Anyway, I know that this is one thing. I'm just speaking of, of one of these things, one of these emotions being a range of everything we've went through. So that's just the first. Yeah. I, I didn't get a sense else. tonight that that the emotion of the tributes before the game got to the players or anything like yeah. that. And I know, I know you're not saying that. So, and I, w- I wouldn't really expect it to really, I don't know how many of these players have actually met him and he's a kind of historical figure and they've been re- all been very respectful of that. And Bobby Charlton's place in Manchester United's history, which is obvious, obviously 
really significant uh, and the club have done a good job uh, and uh, not a word has come out from uh, from the Glazer family, which is perfect. Uh, we didn't need any of them chirping in. Uh, and I think it's all been handled in in the most appropriate way. And, and there are nice tributes from the fans outside in the Trinity statue, floral tributes, cards, scarves, everything you'd expect, really. So well played by the club. Full three-hand clap emoji tribute. I'm not being glib, I'm just saying. <laughs> like, well played. It was important that we mark this. And there'll be another... Another opportunity against Manchester City on Sunday. I think there's something planned for then for that game too. And also, on yeah, the pitch. That, also, by the way, just before we move on yeah. to Charlie, if anyone's listening to this in the interim, which there will be before the City game, there is still the opportunity to go down to Old Trafford and, and lay those yeah. flowers and to, to write in the condolence book until Friday. So right. that opportunity is still there for the general public as well. Which a lot of people have, including many of his contemporaries. Yeah. Uh, Paddy Crerand was there, Brian Kidd. We'll forgive him for joining Manchester City for this moment. Yeah. <laughs> well, he's, he's actually... He's, pass. he's on the club in an unofficial way, on in club capacity again, because he, he's on the board as a representative of the MMMF. So... Right, um, so he's still he's back at United in in a minuscule informal way. Um, he's aligned with the proper side of Manchester again. But yeah, I mean, apart from that, the grief. There has been the other side of every emotion tonight on the spectrum, and it was, I mean, first of all, resignation that you're watching, and I, I came to this conclusion just before we scored in the second half. I think this may be our worst Champions League campaign. And there's some low bars, um, lying yeah. through there. But I, I, I'm looking at thinking, standard of the opposition, what you expect from United, quality of European football as a whole, and this is what we're putting out. And what made me feel really pessimistic about it tonight was that we had balance back in the side for the first time in a long time. And, all right, we are talking about Spurs as a reserve yeah. left back, and we have seen him vulnerable in in defensive positions in other games, and it has cost us goals. And you think, oh well, we've yep. got some balance on that left hand side, and then you look at him, you think, well, maybe he's not that great. Um, but <laughs> you know, you're thinking, all right, well, we've got balance back, but at least so he's maybe got a left peg. Exactly, he can, it's not just for standing on, and and the irony being that you know we bring him off and the the positive changes come. And I'm not I'm not digging him out as a single player. Yeah, yeah. Everyone on the team, it was just such a below par performance. You were, and you were looking at it thinking, these are the dark days in terms of where Eric Tenag is going to direct the squad because there's so much misdirection there in certain players and even the yeah. better players you're lo- now looking at better players in that team or in the squad and wondering what is their value to Manchester United in the medium term is it as an asset or is it as someone to build a team around and I don't think most of these players at the moment certainly the ones that have been there for longer than a couple of seasons you're looking at them thinking probably worth more as an asset especially you know play like Marcus Rashford and it's and sad yeah. to look at from that aspect but you're looking at a game like that and he wears on and you're thinking all of these thoughts are there with you and you're thinking yeah this is grim and then and this I'm telling you this can only happen at this football club that you have a maligned defender who's been stripped to the captaincy Um, he's been on he's been served his notice to leave the club for a long time he was evidently not wanted at the back end of last season and he stuck around. Yeah. I I don't necessarily think in attitude it's a bad thing to to want to fight for your place, even though you can see that there's no future at the club. I think there's a part of me, a large part of me, that thinks that that's actually a good personality trait to have in a player. You want to see that in a player, mm. even though you feel like that player should have moved well. on. Yeah, I, I know, I'm, I'm suspicious of that narrative, to be honest, with Maguire, because I actually think what he said, although he has said things like, I want to fight for my place in the team, he also made it quite clear that there wasn't the financial 
arrangement no. that United West Ham and the club could come to. But but anyway, like it's uh, I don't want to I don't want to um, relitigate no. like Harry's move or lack of move. Uh, but but yeah, um, look, yeah, he, uh, he he played well. He played well at the weekend, pretty well. Anyway, he's he's done all right tonight, and he scored a crucial goal. What more can you say? That's important, right? Uh, he's made a contribution. So did Scott McTominay, <laughs> almost at the wrong end. Again, penalty in a row. It, Again, it's just yeah, yeah. After so yeah. two match-winning heroics. Well, two match turning contributions in in two league games and then this again tonight so he's been involved in pivotal moments all over the place and I said I felt that that was pretty harsh I haven't seen it many times on the replays but I I thought it looked harsh from that and then obviously then you've got the penalty save as well which is just yeah it's just this club I mean take a game like that and in a situation like that where you're looking all right you're staring probable elimination in the face. And then even looking at it long-term, you're thinking, well, what good does it serve United to have won the game? <laughs> really? In terms of where they go, go well, from. Hey, you know? we could secure our place in the Europa League. That would be uh, exciting, wouldn't it? Scott McTominay, mm-hmm. by the way, since we, we mentioned him, yeah. 30 passes tonight. Thirty, A whole 30. That was three times as many as he made against Sheffield United at the weekend. In fact, more than three times as many. You said there was balance with Reguilón in the side. I, yeah. not not to pick on McTominay because because I'm not trying to pick on him, but he removes balance from the United midfield. I don't know what he is as a player. He doesn't yeah. contribute much. He doesn't move. He scores the odd goal now and again, but the idea that you could replicate the five minutes against Brentford for the full ninety, I think we've got plenty of experience. You know, experience watching McTominay to know he can't do that. And so with Bruno and McTominay in there, both chaos merchants in different ways, yeah. I wasn't surprised United couldn't get hold of midfield tonight. I don't know what yeah. Ten Hag's thinking. I honestly don't. I mean, he, he, or, or like where we're headed with this. And this is not some kind of, oh, let's get t- Ten Hag out. I just can't, I can't see it. I can't see what he's trying to move towards. So I'm still yet to understand why Mason Mount was brought to the club it seems like Ten Hag doesn't want to play him right now because there's two games in a row he hasn't played or made any real contribution to I think he got a few minutes against Sheffield United didn't he so if he's not the answer at number eight and Ericsson isn't because we can't trust him to play a full game and and it's McTominay but we can't trust him to be able to retain the ball and yet Ten Hag wants to play possession dominant football you can't do that with that make over the midfield, and yet we're moving the ball too slowly to play counter-attacking or transitional football. I, I just I don't know what it is that we're trying to build here. And it's not a good sign. Uh, and I don't mm. know that we can blame injuries anymore for that. There are still a few. I mean, Casemiro's out, but he's been pretty dreadful for six months. Kobe Mainu's out, but he's never really played. We've got a lot of hopes on a player that has never really played. Luke Shaw... Is an important player, but he's not going to fix that central midfield. And mm. yeah, so I just I've, I've I felt it's not one of the seven stages here, but I'm bloody confused about what it is we're moving towards right now. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. I don't I don't think there's anything that you can get out of winning in that kind of fashion. I was going to say in spite of that fashion, but especially because of winning in that fashion that can fill you fill you with any optimism because yeah I think the the injuries and I'm you know I'm first of all I'm not Tenog out and I'm a long way from that I'm not even a Tenog skeptic at this point but but I am at the point where the injuries are, are an excuse for so much and then they're not an excuse for the rest of it and and they're they're an excuse for for example, missing you back for and Casemiro, even though he's been in poor form, that's five of your outfield team from last season who were so good and contributed to defensive solidity that we, that we saw and is yeah um, uncontestable because that we we saw the improvements there. So obviously, when you miss all those players, it is and you change your goalkeeper, you are going to see an effect. But 
then there's the other side of it, which is, well, if you don't have that, then at least you've got the midfield and the forwards, which for more or less we've had a full complement. We've not really had a lot of injuries there. I know Mount missed a few games, and but mm. more or less we've had the complement that we've wanted in that regard, and they just look like six players who haven't played together before, and and they have played together. Right. It's madness. And, and, you know, like Bruno looks lost. Anthony regressing. Um, which is concerning because I'm, the, the thing what we've got with some players is that it seems like we've got players who definitely have got talent, individual talent, definitely have got talent playing in teams, but where those players play together in the different departments, it's like nobody's complementing each other. Like we know what Anthony yeah. brings. Anthony, Anthony has qualities when players around him are moving and creating space for his one trick. And we don't, they're not doing that. So if they're not doing that, and he can't, he's not the fastest yeah. player. I mean, and that's kind. Then he's not bringing <laughs> anything. And Marcus Rashford is doing his own thing, and when he's doing that, and there's no balance in the side, then he's not, he's not bringing anything to the team. Yeah. He's not helping Ireland either. And it's then you've got moments, Bruno, isn't it? Exactly. There's yeah. Just no, I, I, and it's so to, like you look at, and I, I always feel like I'm being a bit reductive when I make these kind of comparisons, but you look at. Uh, and Japostokoglu at Spurs and just how quickly he's established their, their style, right? And they've had, they've had a very good start to the season and it may not last. And I don't think we can kind of over, over index on that, but it's the application of clear style to his team. And I thought we'd get more of that from Ten Hag by now. And I don't, I don't know what it is. And is it pure pragmatism? He's going to pick a team and a shape for for the opponents in front of us. Is he just trying to get through stuff right now? This bad run of form and the inconsistencies because partly because of injury a lot, a lot because of injuries this season. Is that why he does things like pick Scott McTominay, even though we kind of know what he does and doesn't do for us? And and so where's this well, team? Where's this team headed? I'm struggling with that. And and I'm sure Ted Hag knows way more than me. And he's had, obviously, and he's had success in football. And so that's not to write him off in in any fashion. I just think it's a legitimate criticism, 18 months into being at the club, that we're like, it's not clear what this team that he's trying to build is. Look, on the two points that you mentioned there, I will offer some explanation in my opinion so if you rewind a year because i think that's a fair if we're, we're judging spurs's progress in that period of time let's look at the comparison with united and united this time last year were beating spurs 2-0 in one of the better performances in in ten Hag's reign in fact it's to the week pretty much where where that result came in so uh, we can say that the injuries have played a part. I do share your concern, like I've already said, I do share your concern about the lack of direction at this moment in time. But in the same sample size of like three months, then we did have a clear identity and Tenog was making major waves and he was doing that. I mean, it's, I did, it's not exactly the same, but he was kiboshing Ronaldo from the side and he was throwing tantrums and Spurs have had to do this without Harry Kane. So they're redefining their style of play and everything like that. So yeah. I, in that comparison, I feel like um, we owe Tenog a little bit of slack until he gets those players back. Because if we're if we're being completely fair and reasonable, Martinez and Casemiro, particularly together in the way that Martinez progresses and, and tries to penetrate yeah, yeah. that back line, yeah, he is a big Casemiro miss. sits. And the other thing, the McTominay thing, I do agree because we there's a one side of it where we've seen enough of all of these players to know what they do and don't do, what they can and can't do. But when you have a player who has been playing very well internationally and then he comes on and does what he did against Brentford, I think it's only fair that he got those games against Sheffield United, against Copenhagen, because those are two games that, and we have just about afforded to carry that player in the team and we've seen what he can do the damage that sometimes having him in the team can can do with mm. a the style of play and b the the disrupt to the back line and the the two penalties conceded, yeah, and that'll probably I mean there's no I'll be very very 
surprised if he features at all against Manchester City because I think it's obvious that it's not worked. However, I'm not I'm not going to dig out Tenog for giving him a chance in the same way that I look at you know he brings on Martial and and brings off Hoyland and I think all right he's, this is to spare him the minutes then to give Hoyland a rest I can understand that but there's nothing to be gained in Martial even if Martial had scored tonight there's no there's no point con- uh, persisting with that because you know where it ends up whereas with McTominay mm-hmm. I still feel like well I, that, not that there's a long term benefit to having him in the team because we all know what he can't do but I didn't see the harm in giving him these runner games because he'd earned it for that moment against Brentford. Sure, but I guess it's just the lo- but it is like you said, it's mo it's moments, it's moments in the game and in the season, and that's the issue because now you know that there's no mm. long term investment in that. There's no direction with where that goes, and that's the concern because you you look at tonight and the biggest conclusion you've got from it is not that Maguire's going to suddenly be a permanent fixture in that side. Your biggest yeah. Hope of a conclusion from that game is that it changes Anana's fortunes, really, because there's nothing else to to come out of that other than thinking. Hopefully, he's more confident. Because look, the one thing we should say is that it was a magnificent save from the penalty. That was a great save, and I've been very critical of his goalkeeping. I've said some unkind things about him, but that was a great save, and that's the best conclusion you can get from it because there's nothing else that makes any sense. From what we saw, yeah, there's nothing. There's nothing. It's in the wrong think... place, though. <laughs> I mean, no, I'm, I'm, I'm being churlish. <laughs> if he gets his hand <laughs> in the wrong place, uh, he got he let's, let's, he got an arm yeah. there. Uh, yeah, like, I really hope it changes his fortunes as well. He made a good save earlier, diving away yeah. to his right to stop a potential Copenhagen goal. So yeah, I hope that gives him some confidence and literally the last kick touch of the game. Yeah. wasn't it because the ref blew for the full-time whistle straight after that and and look the, I guess the key moment uh, United's goal came from Ericsson's great ball I guess Ten Hag can't trust him or doesn't trust him to play the full game but he's he's made an impact as a sub five games in a row now that he's come on as a sub and he does make an impact in that role so if that's he's happy doing that and Ericsson's happy and Ten Hag's happy doing that then fine Great ball, good positioning from Harry, fine header, solid goal. Yeah, uh, but it is all moments, isn't it? And and I kind of th- I was thinking, I was musing to my, did I write this down on Twitter or did I just think it in my own head? I was like, you know, it will probably find a moment in this game because you did, you the did players right, are yeah. just so That's much right. better, right? Yeah, and it's, and again to be reductive, Copenhagen's annual wage bill. Twelve million pounds. United got six players that earn that themselves. It's so the only the hundred ninety million or so bigger United's wage bill, and uh, it's, so that's a reflection of the the quality, or, or yeah. should be a reflection of the quality of the two sides, squads, teams involved in this. And you just think, well, at some point we'll find something, which you should do against teams that aren't quite as good as you are. Yeah. But it wasn't, it, it wasn't, it, it wasn't systemic, right? I, I didn't think, oh, well, we've got a way of moving, moving them around here that is bound to create five or six good chances and we're bound to score one of those goals. It was just more like someone will come up with something. And, and that's, that's, that's worry because it's, it's like a good six months before, you know, like since United consistently put in those like kind of strong performances i i I asked i asked on twitter again like when was the last time because i I genuinely can't remember it i'm getting into like like when went 90 minutes of yeah that was good lads that was good and and the the other thing that worries me is they're so static at the moment it was so slow and and if it was right at the end of the season i'd be going oh yeah they're tired all right but it just it was like do they know where they're supposed to be at any one time and mm. do they? Is it instinctive? Clearly not. Uh, and especially in going forward, it's, we can't really say that's about injuries because it's not. It's these players. Most of these players have. Well, I guess Hoyland's new, but a lot of these players have played together. So, like, should know where you're supposed to be at any one time right now. Should some of that should be natural? 
a lot of people like striving hard. Bruno really striving hard to to make something happen over the top sometimes. Marcus yeah. Rashford just he's one he's will he's so desperate, isn't he, for for it to all click and it's not. He, even Hoyland is like he's trying hard, you know, he wants to succeed and there are those moments where you're like, Yeah, this is I see what he's got, we've got here. You know, and I feel good about that. But as a collective, it's like wow. Long time since it's felt kind of coherent. But they were good enough. They found the moment. Um, yeah, I mean good enough. I don't know if that. Yeah, no, well, yeah. You're you actually something. being kind there. The, yeah. It's funny because you, you say Ericsson, and Ericsson really, if you look at him in isolation, him coming off the bench for Manchester United and creating the winning goal, that should be a normal thing at this stage in his career. And that should be like, that's a normal thing. Like, so if, if United were challenging for the top trophies, then. Ericsson coming off the bench to help them, I think is normal. You know, you would expect yeah, that to yeah. happen. So that 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 part of it's fine. It's the fact that, like you said, the reliance is that you're actually relying on him, but you know that he can't do it for the full game, which is bizarre to to really look at it in in that way. That that he was the one. And I, look, this is not against Ericsson because I think he's fabulous. I think he's been a really sound. Arrival at United, and I've liked what he's done. Even the concerns over ninety minutes aside, and you know, physical strength in in big games aside, what he does bring and what the quality that he does bring is instantaneous to see the improvement that it had. But you, you yeah, I mean, look, if like he hadn't dropped dead at some point, maybe we'd be getting uh, the real <laughs> Christian Eriksen. I don't know. I mean, I, I I don't really know because I don't think. You know, I saw the moments when he was playing for Brentford, but I didn't watch them every week. I, I don't know whether he's dropped off physically since then or from before his his collapse during the Euros. But he definitely, we know he can't do it for a full 60 minutes. And and like you, I think that's totally fine, actually, if that's his place in the squad. It's that, what is the right balance of the three in that midfield which will make this midfield function? Yeah. Can we even play? Ten Hag ball, possession-dominant football with Bruno. And given that he is way, way out front, if you look at expected assists, expected, or chances created, expected assists sort of XY graph, he's miles ahead of everyone in the Premier League on that. He creates chances. You expect him to create goals. He's going to keep doing that. That's the player he is. But he's not a player for a possession-dominant team, really, unless you have two players behind him who are very comfortable. In possession, yeah. yeah, and and maybe we do. I don't, I, I don't know. Actually, I'm I'm looking at the, I'm looking around that squad and going. I don't know what that combination is that will get to where Ten Hag wants United to be. Amramat might be that, but it's not dynamic in terms of his passing. Maybe that's okay. Casemiro's not. He's a seventy-five percent success rate player. He's a bit wild yeah. with it. Mount. More secure, but Mount and Bruno getting in each other's zone. So McTominay definitely not. So it's it's a challenge for sure. Yeah, if he I, wants I to take this that. team forward, the the Bruno one is interesting because you look at where we were before we signed him. We were desperate for a player like that um, who took desperate. those risks. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and like that's not an understatement. If if I know some people have shorter memories and they don't remember those times. I remember Andres Pereira being that number 10 and constantly playing there and playing there and he was making wrong decision after wrong decision and, and because he just, that stage wasn't for him. Everyone was getting frustrated and then when you brought in Bruno and yes, all right, the percentages, the, the risks that he was taking were higher, but the quality was there and United, you know, it made a massive difference. And now you look at a system and you're almost tempted to say that Tenog always not quite as pragmatic as Van Gaal. In fact, nowhere near as pragmatic as Van Gaal. But a player like Bruno wouldn't survive in a Van Gaal system. And what that leads me to believe is that in an Ajax style system, there isn't really an obvious place for a Bruno Fernandes kind of player. Now, that it's a dichotomy because he's 
it it makes me think back to a number of United players over history. I'll go Premier League history just because of my age. Football was invented. Yeah. Exactly. So yeah. if you look at players who booked the system in terms of they they were in they came into a formation where they, there wasn't an obvious fit. So you've got Cantona, massive hit, everything fell into the right place. There wasn't an obvious place because we weren't playing four four one one. We were playing four four two, and Ferguson was looking for a, a striker to play as a number nine off Mark Hughes. That's why he was after Shearer and why he was after Hurst. And then Cantona yeah. was playing behind Hughes. And what happened was Hughes brought everyone into play and it changed everything by accident, but a happy accident. Yeah. Veron, a magnificent player. Still, I still enjoyed the two years he played for us because I, I really yeah, wanted yeah. us to sign him. He was he's such a beautiful player. And, but he didn't fit. He didn't fit because Nicky Butt, Paul Scholes and, and Roy Keane were better midfielders for all that system at that time with that squad and, and the, the needs that we had at that time. Kagawa is another player that we, we signed who were yeah. extremely talented, but and, and obviously Fergie was desperate to have a player like that in his team, but there was just no place for him because it didn't seem right. And but he, Well the no, reason, no Ferguson side ever really played with the pure ten like Kagawa was. No and he ended up playing him on the left as a result, right? So. Right. But the the difference between those sides and this side was that those players got swallowed up in the quality of other players and United could win without them. United can't win without Bruno, really. They can't. Yeah. There's no one that does things to a high enough standard, taking those risks in in there. So he's a he's actually a player you've got to carry in the team because of what he brings to the side that other players cannot do. United, I mean, in Tenog's not in a position, maybe if things had gone differently with injuries and, and form, Maybe he would be in a position now to try something like this with Mount uh, taking his place, but he can't afford to take that risk at this moment in time. Yeah, and, and Mount's nowhere near as creative. You just, they're just there's a big creative black hole if you do that. So I, I do wonder whether, and I know we did actually have a game tonight that we really talked about, but I do wonder whether if he had managed to get Frankie de Jong, who's an excellent progressive passer and carrier, and use his space really well, whether it just created more balance in this midfield. I suspect it really would have, and we'd be I'm much closer to to having the kind of side Ten Hag really wants to build. Yeah. Didn't happen. They went for a very different style of player, and we're kind of coarse a little bit. They may all be very good players. I don't actually I don't think there's anyone that United are carrying currently in the in the squad. There's players that are closer to the first team and contribute more or fit more with the system and so on, so on, and so on. But it's not like we've got five players, I think. Well, they've never got a chance at United. Uh, it's just, it, I just don't know whether the, we have the right blend exactly. And uh, I'm not saying we definitely don't. Uh, I think a lot of it, a lot of it may hinge on what is Amrabat's role? What is the balance of Amrabat, Casemiro? Can Mount and Bruno actually play together? And looking at the skill sets, is is does Mainu become the answer at some point in the season? Not saying straight away, but just because he is the passer, a carrier, and technically very strong against the press. But who knows? Not going to chuck everything on an eighteen-year-old to solve United's problems. Mm. To go back to to tonight, one of the worrying trends of the many. One of the worrying trends is the pedestrian nature in which we are plodding through games. And I know that Tenor gets to 60 minutes and the 60-minute mark is the magic time to bring on Garnacho. Yeah. And I understand the need to bring him in gradually, and I agree putting him on the bench is probably better for now. But there's nothing changing in that first 60 minutes. It, from game to game, there's nothing that changes and needs must with the injury crisis, but there's nothing in the rest of the dynamic that's changing that's making you think, you know, there's progress here that we're seeing something. It's kind of like yeah. we are putting a plaster over this and we are expecting you to understand that that plaster is going to be there for three months and you're not going to see anything 
until all of the players are back, and then we can kick on. And that's not good enough because <laughs> the plaster, yeah. you know, it's really not good enough. And you'll find out why. No, we'll, we'll have got sepsis and gangrene by then, and we'll be out of the Champions League reckoning and in the fucking Europa League. So, yeah, no, we can't wait till January for everyone to be fit for this to work. Uh, and, uh, I mean, there's no magic solution other than they have to find a way. That's that is the thing that's on Ten Hag because we know all the players now, and that's the that's where he deserves criticism. That's where you know someone like me who, who is prone to giving managers a healthy benefit of the doubt, where I will criticise him and where I'll I'll want to know what's happening because, like you mentioned, combinations and midfielders like tonight it just didn't work. There's no, I mean, cut every single game. Is every single game apart from the League Cup game against Palace? We've been played off the park by everyone that's played against us. Copenhagen played us off the park, Old Trafford. Yeah, they dominated midfield. They dominated midfield, Old Trafford, Copenhagen, or the um, bunch of journeymen. Yeah, it's, I mean that's red flags. It's concerning, and they'll look at this. And I know, I, I know, you win a game like that, and there's a euphoric nature to it. First of all the relief of winning not that it's our thing but relief of winning that game when on an emotional day for United is is one thing then there is something great about a maligned player I mean just for the morons on Twitter you and I both criticise Maguire I agree with you that it's time time for him to move has, has been long overdue but I like that he scores. First of all, because he scores a win. Second yeah. of all, because there are some idiots on Twitter who will really be upset <laughs> that we won because the player that they hate scored. I did. I didn't ignore all that. It was a good moment for him. I, like, as much as I think he deserves analysis for his failings, and I don't think he can fix the failings that he's got, and I don't think it's a lack of effort from him. So, as much as I think he's probably not the right solution for United, I don't actually dislike him. I mean, I think there's plenty of things to mock sometimes. I'm glad. I thought for a moment when he went in for the knee slide, he was going to put his hands to his ears and give it that again because I'd have been, ah, I'm glad he didn't. I didn't. I'm glad he didn't give it the big I am. It was just a good, it was a good moment for him. You know, as I said, he, he crept forward. He took, he, he was brave to do that. Given that he takes him a good couple of years to get back from that kind of situation. Uh, and it was a fine header. So good for, good for Harry. Uh, I don't wish anything bad on him at all. He does say some mm. stupid stuff sometimes. But, you know, I forgive that now and again. It's the curse of the modern footballer. But uh, what I mean is like, and then you've got the, the penalty save at the end. And there's just, there are moments in it, there. It leaves you with a high, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, you, you, yeah you've got that. But there's nothing to invest in. You're not thinking, right, okay, here we go. Let's move forward. It's kind of like, well, when we're picking the bones out of it, I can still come on here and say we've won a game of football against Copenhagen. We've been outplayed at home in the Champions League. And we're still on course. It still looks like our worst ever Champions League campaign. And I can't see. There's no evidence in there that makes me think. It feels like, and I I know it's different, but it feels like, sorry, I, I interrupted you, but it feels like, in the kind of dog days of the Van Hull era. And you're like, oh, it's a bit of a chore. I don't want it to be a chore. I want to be excited about it. And for lots of last season, I was excited about it because you're like, ah, we're moving forward. I yeah. can see. But then it's, it's hit some buffers. Uh, yeah. We were, we were debating, old old Rankcast uh, WhatsApp group, debating whether this is like Ollie Ball without the vibes or Van Hull Ball without the... Van Hal's personality. I'm not sure. There might be the worst of both worlds there. Yeah. It's a bit um, hard going at the moment. Is it Partridge who was the blurst of worth worlds or something? <laughs> like <that. laughs> right. Back of the net. And another one. I was watching that the other day, the Partridge 94 World Cup thing. Oh, I just used to, if you just want a mindless chuckle to yourself, just uh, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, sorry. I'm not getting excited. Yeah, so where were we talking? What were we saying? Oh, yeah, you were talking Ollie Ball and Van Gaal Ball. Well, the, the comparison I was making prior to the international break, and it was kind of spooky, really, 
that it happened the way they did. Uh, it was the vibes of the entire thing. I was starting to feel like it was not in terms of, of where we are with Tenog, this internal decline, but there was a mood that felt similar to uh, Mourinho's last weeks in charge. And I'd made the comparison. I might have even made it on this podcast last time I was on. The the last international, the last October game that we played under Mourinho before we went into the international break was against Newcastle at home and we 2-0 down and we came back to win. And Sanchez scored in the last minute, and you know, was, everyone was like, "Oh my god, yeah, you know, this could turn it around." And we all, we all knew that the house was burning down. You know, Mourinho was—he was going. It was just a matter of when and not if. And then, obviously, we went and did pretty much the exact same thing against Brentford. And I remember walking away from. I mean, again, the euphoria of having won in the last minute, but nothing that makes you think because of the. Because of the re- reality of knowing where Scott McTominay fits into yeah. the manager's plans or the the future direction of the club, nothing that makes you think this is a turning point. And then you move forward, and I'm pretty sure we probably had some the the Juventus. The, we won at Juventus after that under Mourinho, didn't we? There was a, we even we won at Mar- so so. I'm saying there was did, still Lukaku scoring that one. I'm forgetting now. Matter uh, with two one away at Juve, wasn't it? Yeah. So yeah. What I mean is there were still some wins in there that made you think, oh, God, like we could be doing something. But then then obviously there were the big pitfalls. And I know we're going to jump to see at some point, but you know what I mean? You're lurching from one grasping nettle to the next because yeah. you, know, you, you come away from a game yeah. like tonight and you're thinking you really want to be feeling more positive about it, but you can't help feel that when United do things narrowly, it's not like the old days when it was like it was like swashbuckling cavalier. They've got away with it, and then they they can use that as inspiration to kick on and do a run. It's like no, you, this United team get away with it, and then in the next game they're likely to get yeah. found out. And yeah. that's my worry. Well, for, for talking good, good moment, good, good moment to get to the next game. I think <laughs> Great. City at the weekend. Oh God, I, is it? It's not right. But I can't help feel. I just hope we don't get absolutely battered. I should be hoping for more, though, shouldn't I? Of course, you should. But I feel that most most people will feel that way. I certainly feel the same way that you do. I've got very strong apprehension about it, and and let's be. Fair about this. This isn't the Manchester City team that have kicked on from winning the treble. They don't look imperious. They've not grown in confidence. As I mean, you look at that City team, you look at the rest of Europe, they're still favourites to win everything. They could well win another treble. You would, if you were a supporter of Manchester City, and this is the only dig that I'm going to be able to afford to get at them, (laughs) considering my very strong pessimism for this, the only dig that I can aim at them is that I, if I was a supporter of that team, I would really want them to take a moment like winning the treble and kick on when they are so obviously superior to everyone else in European football that I'd want to see my team turn on the side. You know, like after we won the treble, all right, we didn't we didn't win the European Cup after, but the way that we played in the league the season after, we were magnificent in that ninety nine two thousand season. We played some incredible yeah. football. And yeah, yeah. and you're not seeing that from this city team. But having said that, you'll see it on Sunday because the the difference of being able to turn it on from United's not being able to turn the bad stuff off. Yeah, unfortunately, we can. And also, Erling Haaland, although he scored quite a lot of goals this season, he has missed nine big chances. And I think if he hadn't, City's fortunes. It feels like I think what I'm trying to say is. The reason why the results are a bit mixed are the details with City rather than something more systemic. Yeah. And the the reasons why United's before, uh, results aren't as bad are the details. And it's it's not about the system. It, it, yeah. I, I'd be more confident about City coming out of their relative ruts than I would about United progressing from here. And, like, even even with, like, not getting it all quite right... And trying to find the right balance without De Bruyne, 
they have players who've progressed. I mean, Alvarez is a much better player this season than he was last season. Uh, they're still trying to find the right balance, having lost Mares, De Bruyne has been injured, um, Fernandinho's gone, Rodri's out. So um, he's trying to find a mix and he's tinkered around with it. Hasn't quite worked. They lost what? They lost to Arsenal, they lost to Wolves. They lose another one in there. Newcastle? Did they lose to Newcastle? Forget, in the cup. I forget yeah. now. Yeah. In the cup, in cup, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, not perfect from City, but I feel like that's a standard pattern sometimes. And, like, last season, Arsenal were ahead for 99.9% of the season. That's not true, but, you know, something like that. And you just knew that City were going to come. Yeah. Inevitably. Yeah. Like, like you know that migrant workers are going to get abused. And so you know that City are going to win football matches. (sighs) That's a... Heck of a comparison, yeah. I, <laughs> yeah, even and where did he, I pick that one up from? I don't know. It was very, very nuanced, very clever. Yeah, I think oh. if you look to look back at Van Gaal and look back at Mourinho, and I think that they might have looked at this Man City team, saw where their vulnerabilities are, create a game plan to exploit them, or at least do as much as they can to exploit them. I look at this United team and I don't doubt that Tenor could probably do that with a full complement. Yeah. But I look at this team and I think, I don't know if they've got the footballing intelligence to not get pulled all over the place. By I mean, that, look, there are holes in this United team all over the place and even a weak City team, they could probably put out, and I really hate to say this, they could probably put out a team with six, seven changes and take a win from Old Trafford at the moment um, and a comfortable win in terms of like yeah. they, could, they could play their style, dominate the ball and make us look hopeless. And I hate thinking like that about this team because we saw what they could do last season, but it's there's an attitude that's missing there at the moment that was there. Yeah, that does sit with the players, but I do think some of it sits with the manager as well and I don't yeah. know I, I can't see well, I can't will he find it will he find a system to be because I, I look at the city side of playing three at the back and you, what you would you do want to do is overload the wings and try and exploit those areas behind because they're pushing Grealish Foden Doku who just looks great <laughs> sadly like really high up the pitch and taking some risks there by having three at the back and, and two sitting in front. And so if United could overload the wings or make the switch from left to right, it's just like, how are they going to do that with the mix of wide players that we've got? They all yeah. want to come inside. Yeah, and also... I just, I just don't see it. The the players that United have got in those areas, even if they were disciplined enough to, to stick in those areas and, like I said, exploit the wide areas, they're not the ball doesn't stick to them to to make that, you know, you saw it today. Yeah. I mean, you can't help but laugh like with, with irony, you know, the way that Rashford miscontrolled and then even Garnacho miscontrolled is that in those situations against a team like say United aren't going to be, they're not going to be able to afford to be profligate really. And United don't have players no. that are clinical enough to, to like Arsenal, their, their big difference in, being able to at least pretend to look like they compete with City is that they do have players who can be clinical. Like Saka is a kind of player who, when he gets the ball, you think he's going to score a goal. Whereas Anthony gets the ball in that position, you hope he's going to score a goal or do something. Whereas Saka, you expect it. And you just can't see that against City. Ironically, I'm saying that, and Anthony did score a great goal against City last season, but we lost 6-3, and therein lies the detail. United can do things like that. Details, three, details. Weren't all three of our goals at City last season? They were all pretty good. Martial scored a decent goal, and, and Sancho's was yeah. definitely good, but we conceded six. And I can, you know, you can see exactly the... Well, I guess the difference. At this stage, I take a one nil defeat or something. I just don't want to get yeah. battered again. Yeah, like I'm sick of playing City and Liverpool and then hammering us. 
Yeah. But I, yeah. I think, I think, and I, even though I agree with you again, and I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I guess that this is a way that this is round, rounding out. What if we win on Sunday? There's well, it'd be still, a great moment, but it would just be that. Yeah, you're not. You're still so, not seeing the green shoots, really. You're not seeing the yeah. green shoots because there's nothing there until this, like, sort of five or six months turnover of what's going to happen next in terms of the squad, in terms of the the top of the club and everything like that. And I think that's the the most depressing thing of all is that it doesn't. We I think for a long time, maybe the, over the last eighteen months, when we're talking about Ragnik, when we're talking about the change of manager, and I know this isn't strictly relating to the game tonight but it is and I think it's pertinent to talk about a feeling like this after a win winning in dramatic fashion like we did is that you you can win like this and you can look at a game look forward to a game on Sunday and not know the outcome of the game and think we could win that game and still feel pessimistic about what the future holds because yeah, now it's not any longer about, sorry to just ramble on with this point, Ed, but to, we were back with the Rangnick era. You're looking at those players and thinking, all right, well, a lot of you are in Last Chance Saloon. Well, the close of, the doors have closed on Last Chance Saloon. There's nothing to be learned about this anymore. And it's like, so there's nothing to be learned about anything until we are in a position to be able to turn over some of the squad. And that's the, the, the sad facts about it really and I, I hate to feel like that, that yeah. this is the position yeah, that yeah. we're in at United at the moment so um well you know. maybe the upbeat assessment of that would be sure Martinez my new all be back who else are missing Wampasaka all be back before the new year so Jim comes along with his absolutely massive checkbook better call it a day there you got any predictions for the weekend Famous victory for Manchester United. As as the great Club Lang once said, pain. <laughs> All right. Thank you very much, Wayne.